0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous
1: program, I was talking about Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 6, where it says, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. I was explaining in the previous program that serving in the oldness of the letter didn't get anybody anywhere, that people may have been fully devoted to living in obedience to all of the commandments, either as a person who was presenting gifts, tithes, offerings, whatever they were giving to the temple, or if they were a priest who was involved in the ceremonies, in the services that were taking place there in the temple, regardless of who they were, they did not know the Lord. They may have known the law, they may have memorized the law, they may have been involved in all of the festivals, all of the ceremonies that were there, but when the living God himself showed up right there in the temple, they didn't have any idea who he was. And so to say that they were serving God, and yet they would not know God if they saw him, tells me that they were not really serving God like they thought they were. They were serving him in the context of ministering to people, serving in the sense of condemning people. The law, the old covenant, was recognized as the ministry of condemnation. Now, I was explaining this in the previous program, and I also explained that in the churches today, in most of the churches today, there are, of course, lots of exceptions, but in general, the churches and the temples that exist today function in the same way. They have their own law. They have a law that they extracted from the law of Moses, or they modified the law of Moses a little bit, but they have a system of law that they live by, and there are people who give and contribute and support these institutions, and there are priests or pastors or ministers who are there in these institutions in order to perform the ceremonies and the rituals and all the services that people expect them to perform. And through that, they live in observance. They observe all of the commandments that they believe that they should be observing. But do they know the Lord? No, of course not. The Lord Himself could easily show up right there in their decorated facilities and they wouldn't know who He is. They would have no idea who He is because they are still involved with the ministry of condemnation. That's what's going on and why people are not really serving God but they are truly serving themselves. It is a total deception. They might be serving Him if they are condemning people appropriately. But in general, they don't. In general, they deceive people and say, but don't worry, just keep at it and maybe you'll know the Lord one day. And yet people don't. They don't know him and they may go for years before they discover that they don't know him any more than when they first got saved. In fact, they may feel as though they are further away from God than when they first got saved. These are very common things that people tell me. I'm not just making this up. I'm not just saying this to be rude. I'm telling you from the testimonies that I've heard from a number of people. That's where I get this information from and why I'm willing to say these things with great confidence because I have a huge collection of references of people who have testified to this extent. But there are many ways that people believe that they serve God and church today. There are many ways that people attempt to serve God. When people talk about serving God, haven't you ever heard anybody say that I am going to go and serve God or I'm going to dedicate my life to serving God? What does that mean? I mean, what does it really mean to say that we serve God in religion today? Well, that means a number of things. It might mean something as simple as you cut the grass at your church or you fix the plumbing or you fix other things, you do maintenance, you help out with the facilities, that in that way, you serve God. If you're not actively involved in that way, maybe just giving your tithes is a way of serving God. People think of serving God in that sense as well. If you really want to get aggressive, though, you can volunteer in the nursery. You can help take care of the little kids. You can do that. If you do that, then you are serving God. That's what people say. Or you can be so bold as to help out with the Sunday school. You can help teach other kids or other adults, other people. You can be involved in helping the teacher. You could help with the cleanup, for example, or the preparation. You can set up the chairs. Whatever, whatever you do, there are many things that you can do that give you the impression, that give you the belief that you are serving God. But again, what happens if he shows up? What happens if he stands in front of you? Are you going to know Him when you see Him? Are you going to know Him? How about preaching? Preaching to the whole congregation. If it's not in a Sunday school on a small scale, how about to the entire church? You can do that. Are you serving God by preaching, by teaching the Scriptures and proclaiming God? Are you serving Him? Well, you might be, but you might not be. You might be teaching things that are not true. And even if you are, You might be saying things that are true, but do you know the person who wrote the things that are in the scriptures? There's a big difference between telling people about the things that he said versus telling them about who he is. There's a big difference between the two. If you don't want to step out that far, then just get involved in some service projects or do other things to help volunteer and help people who are in need. There are many ways that people will try and serve God, or at least they claim that they are serving God, when they participate in the things of religion. And in fact, the belief is, is that we need these institutions because without these institutions and their architecture and their structure and the leadership to help manage these things, without that, you cannot serve God. That these People who are in leadership positions in these places exist to provide you with opportunities to serve God. And you better be nice to them, of course, because if you're not, then they might not give you the kinds of opportunities to serve God as you would like. And so you got to be nice. you got to be careful. Don't offend anybody, because if you do, then they're not going to let you serve God. That is the attitude that I personally have encountered on many occasions. But all of these things are activities, they are decisions, they are ways of participating in religious activities and institutions. But let me ask you something. Do you need to know the Lord to do any of those things? Do you need to know God to go and give money? You don't need to know God to give money. You don't need to know God in order to do maintenance there. You don't need to know God in order to volunteer in the nursery there or watch the kids or teach Sunday school or serve by participating in some of the service projects that they have there. You don't even have to know God to be the preacher. You don't have to know the Lord. All you need to do is go get educated. Go to some seminary somewhere and learn how to teach the Word of God and get your collection of sermons that people have already given and just rewrite them a little bit, modify them a little bit. Just listen to the radio and find out what the radio teachers are talking about and take take that material and present it on Sunday morning. There's lots of ways that people can be pastors and ministers and priests and teachers. There's lots of ways that people can do that without knowing the Lord at all. Have you never heard of some preachers who answer their own altar calls? That happens on occasion. It doesn't happen as often as perhaps we would like sometimes, but it does happen. How could that be? How could that be? You don't have to know him to be part of the worship team, to play in the band. You don't have to know who he is. All you have to do is be a good musician. That's all it takes. I want you to see that and I want you to understand that because I want you to know that there is a difference between serving in the oldness of the letter compared to serving in the newness of the spirit because in the oldness of the letter, anybody could serve that way. You did not have to know the Lord in order to serve in the oldness of the letter. Nobody knew him before they were resurrected by the Lord Jesus. And there are many people who apparently try to serve him today or claim that they serve him today and still perhaps haven't even been resurrected by the Lord Jesus. There is something totally different from all of this, and it has to do with serving in the newness of the spirit. And this is something that only a believer can do. So what does that look like? Well, to me, the first thing that I can't help but think of is to present yourself to him. Presenting yourself to him is your reasonable service, as it is written. You must consider just simply presenting yourself to your God. Now, it is not possible to truly do that if you believe that he holds any of your sins against you. But as soon as you acknowledge and recognize that the reason why he does not hold any of your sins against you is because he died on the cross for the sins of the entire world to include yours. And on that basis, he doesn't hold anybody's sins against them. Now, it is very difficult, if not impossible, for people to get past that, it seems. Most people still want to believe that he holds their sins against them in some way. And so there is no way that a person can possibly enter into what I'm talking about until they recognize that that's the case. But once you do, if you do recognize that that is the case, then you can present yourself to him and you can do so freely with confidence, knowing that he is there for you and he will not shove you away. He will not push you away. He will not send you away. He will not turn his back on you. He will not turn from you and run. He will be there and you will be there and you and him can be together. Then what? What are you going to do then? Well, you should consider that the reason why he has called you to himself was so that he could show you who he is. Now, the first thing that he does is he gives us an inheritance. When you are born again by the Spirit of God, you then become an heir of God, and he gives to you an inheritance. He gives to you all that you need for life and godliness. You are to discover what you have in Christ. And he will reveal what he has given to you. I do believe that he will do that, but your Purpose, when you are first saved, your goal, your direction, what you are to do is to first take some time to discover what you have in Christ Jesus. You are to first receive what he has for you. Now, this might feel a little uncomfortable for some people because many people are totally focused on serving God and they don't think about, they don't consider the fact that maybe he wants to serve them. That, for many people, is totally unacceptable to think that God would serve us. But you know what? When you first turn to him, you don't have anything. And when you do turn to him and you have been saved, you still don't have anything. When you were lost, you didn't have anything. When you got saved, you didn't have anything. When you turn to him after you got saved, you still don't have anything. You've got nothing. Absolutely nothing. You have nothing to offer. All you can do is present your nothingness, your emptiness. And when you do, then he is able to serve you and give to you all that he has for you. That is the first thing that a person needs to consider if they want to serve their God in the newness of the Spirit. First, they need to receive of the inheritance. And what is the general description of the inheritance? The general description of the inheritance is the Spirit of God. You first receive the Spirit of God, the Spirit of life. You receive the Holy Spirit in you. And what does he do when he's there? Well, he begins to reveal to you the truth. The truth of what? Well, the truth of anything, the truth of everything. Whatever you are experiencing personally in your life, the Lord will begin to reveal to you what he sees and what he hears and what he understands. And if you will believe what he shares with you, then he can share more with you. You have to believe the things that he has revealed to you already, and you have to believe the things that he is going to reveal to you next, because if you don't, then he's not going to be able to share anything else with you, because chances are he's going to need you to understand those things, and so he can explain other things to you afterwards. And so if you feel as though he's not sharing anything with you, that he's not speaking with you, that he's not showing you the world through his eyes, that he doesn't explain to you what he understands concerning what you are hearing through his ears, if none of that is taking place, it's probable that you have not yet decided, you have chosen not to believe in what he has already revealed to you. So what else do you expect him to do? You must evaluate your own beliefs with regards to that. I can only tell you about some of the common barriers that people have in their lives, and I have done this in many of the programs that I have recorded for the purpose of helping people try to identify some of these barriers, and so they can take those barriers out of the way. And they are simple to take away. All you have to do is acknowledge the truth and acknowledge the things that you were believing that were not true, and through your acknowledgement, you can make an exchange. You can trade. You can believe those things that are true, and you can begin to live your life accordingly. So you first present yourself to him, and when you present yourself to him, he will then give you all that you need for life and godliness, which of course is himself, described as his spirit that he gives to you, and then he leads you and he guides you into all truth. Now, you are to believe that, you are to trust in that, and you are to rely on that. You are to receive his love for you, and you are to receive his acceptance for you. When you do, when you receive his love for you, his acceptance, his forgiveness, his kindness, his mercy, when you live on the basis of how he relates to you, then you will discover that he meets the deepest needs that you have in your being. You will discover that you have a need to be loved, and you need people to like you. And in this case, You need acceptance to such a degree that only God can accept you in the way that you need to be accepted. Only God can love you in the way that you need to be loved. But what's going to happen when you do allow him to serve you by meeting all of the needs in the deepest part of your being? What will happen when you let him serve you? Well, eventually, you are going to be confronted. With the world at some point, the world is going to tempt you with something, with some sin of some kind, you will experience temptation because you are in the world. And when this happens, you will be able to say no, there will be an occasion this will happen. I really believe that at some point in your life, you will be able to say no to sin in some small way. On some rare occasion, some unusual occasion, it will be such a phenomenon that you will say no to sin, that you will see that a miracle has just taken place. A miracle of God finally occurred. You said no to sin. And the reason why you were able to say no to sin was because the temptation did not have the impact on you as it once did. What is the real temptation? The real temptation is engage in this sin and you will be accepted. Engage in this sin and you will be loved. You will have some meaning in your life. You will have some purpose in your life. But if you are resting in the love and acceptance and meaning and purpose of your God, then it will be easy to say no to the temptation of sin because you are at peace, because you are at rest. In this way, there is the beginning of the appearance that you are serving God. Because you are not sinning. I do not believe that this is the kind of service that he is really after. But when it comes to the religious world, this is what most religious people are interested in, and so this is why I decided to take some time to explain it. Because people are wanting to get rid of the sin in their lives, and this is one of the ways that the Lord works within his people in order to reduce the amount of sin in their lives. But again, please understand me when I say that this is not what it means to serve God. It still isn't what it means to serve God. This is a manifestation of you being served by your God. This is not what it really means to serve God. I believe that what it really means to serve God is to first, of course, be served by him, but then to give to others what he has given to you. That when you give to others what he has given to you, that you are serving Him in the newness of the Spirit because the only thing that you could possibly give that has any real value whatsoever is what the Spirit has given to you. And you give this to others so that they would be encouraged to turn to the Lord themselves. They would be encouraged to turn to God themselves and receive what He has for them, be served by their God so that they also will be fulfilled in the deepest part of their being so that they can serve him. So one of the ways is to share with others what he has shared with you. I do believe that that is an expression of serving the Lord. But of course, what you have has to be real. It really has to be real, and it has to be real on the basis of the truth that he has revealed concerning the gospel, concerning reconciliation, concerning the new covenant, concerning no longer holding your sins against you, stuff like that. Now, one of the ways that people serve God in the context of sharing with others what they have received is by testifying. One of the ways is by testifying about the Lord, that you will live as a living testimony of who he is. Now, by saying no to sin, that is one example of being a living testimony. Because you testify that God exists. You testify that He exists in such a way that He has fulfilled you and transformed you to the degree that you are able, that you are willing, that you really want to, and you succeed in saying no to the temptations of sin. That is a form of testimony. But that is certainly not required. That is just simply one way that people testify of the Lord. There are other ways that people testify of the Lord. You can openly tell people about the Lord. That's one way to do it. I personally try to find ways of openly testifying to people that the Lord is, that he is, and that he wants you to know who he is. I openly testify of that to other people, and I tell people about the barriers that are preventing them from discovering who he is and why they are barriers. And I tell people about the truth that he has shared with me, and I do pray that he is able to use the things that I say to confirm in people's hearts that what I am saying is true, so that they may turn to him to be guided and led in their personal daily lives. I do that in an open way, In many ways, this radio program is one of the ways that I openly testify that there is a God, that he is and what he has shared with us. That's one way that I testify, but there are other ways to testify. You can testify by not saying anything at all. You can be around people who do not know the Lord and not say anything, and that in and of itself can be a testimony. Because of what you do not say, People will notice that you believe something different than what they believe just by not saying anything and being in their presence, talking about other things, of course, not just being there as an individual who just doesn't say anything at all for any reason. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, is by the things that you do not say, you can be a living testimony of God. There were many occasions when I was working in scientific research when I would experience this. Many occasions when I would be sitting in a room filled with Ph.D.s in biology and chemistry and computer science and all kinds of other disciplines where we would be collaborating on a project and talking about various things. And it was very common for people to make some kind of a joke about creationism versus evolution, where they would ridicule people who believed in God. It was a very common thing for people to do. And I would be in this room with all of these highly educated individuals who were on the bleeding edge, the bleeding edge is an expression instead of on the leading edge, on the bleeding edge of new ideas and new research and revolutionary concepts that would totally transform people's lives, the way that people live and how they think and the way that they solve problems. And there would be these comments that would show up every once in a while where people would ridicule those who believe in God and those who believe in creationism and things like that. And when these things would be said, most of the people would eventually turn their eyes towards me because I'd be sitting there contributing to the work, of course. That's why I was there. I would be there and their eyes would shift over to me to see what I would say in response to the joke that was just made. What's he going to say? What's he going to say in response to this? Is he going to defend his faith? Is he going to defend his God? We know that he is a man who is of deep conviction, of deep conviction concerning the existence of God and his participation in our lives. We know who this guy is, and we know that he believes deeply in this stuff that we are making jokes about. Is he going to respond? Is he going to react? And I never would, not in those settings, I would never respond to those things. I would always allow people to express themselves and never say anything in reply or in response. Just let them believe whatever they want to believe. Because my silent testimony was enough, if not greater. The silent testimony of not saying something, but people knew that I had a lot to say The testimony of not saying anything in that context was greater than a testimony of saying something. And so please don't think that serving God always has something to do with actively intervening in people's lives and interrupting their lives, interrupting their world in some way and confronting them with something. It doesn't always have to look that way. In many cases, an effective testimony can be of not saying something. Because God Himself does not always say something. He doesn't always say things. He does not always testify of Himself openly and clearly at every opportunity that is presented to Him. In many ways, it is more effective for Him not to say anything and allow things to go unsaid, to let people have the freedom to destroy themselves with the lies that they believe, so that eventually, they will recognize that he is real. He is real. And they have no right to hear from him at all. They have no claim on him at all. He owes them nothing, not even a word of his existence. But if they want to know who he is, all they have to do is recognize their hopelessness, their helplessness, and see him for who he is receive his mercy and his forgiveness and then he will have a lot to share with them. I really believe that testify of your Lord and do so with confidence. Do not be afraid for your God is with you.